Welcome to The Carlina Show, where people from around the world share their personal journey. I'm your host, Carlina Anglin, and this is episode 27 of the podcast. Today on the show, we have Robin Udemans in Saudi Arabia. Robin is a South African woman who has been living in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia for 17 years. Knowing very little about life outside her compound's walls, Robin decided it was time to change that. The result is a podcast called Aswat, Voices of Arabia, which serves as a platform for the women of Saudi Arabia to share the stories of their lives, aspirations, and achievements at a time when restrictions on women have been easing. You can visit the Carlina Show website at carlina.net to learn more about Robin and link to her podcast. From there, you can find our past episodes, connect with me on social media, and sign up for the mailing list. Thank you, Stephen Lorca, for editing and production. And now I bring you Robin Udemans. Robin, what led you to Saudi Arabia? Well, back in 2000, um, my husband had been offered a job uh, with a company here in Saudi Arabia, um, but he didn't tell me about it initially. I found out about this at a family gathering um, in, in South Africa, um, and he announced over lunch that he'd been um, offered a job in Saudi Arabia but had turned it down. And my, my reaction was, you know, well, why would you do that? That's something we haven't discussed. You know, this is a kind of a topic as a husband and wife you would, you would talk about. Um, and he said, well, it's in Saudi Arabia. And as a woman there, you know, you can't drive, you can't work. Um, my life would have been impacted more than anybody else's really. And I think that's what he had in mind. Um, and at that stage, I was running a photographic business in Cape Town. Um, it was really a one-man show. I was doing everything on my own, um, lugging heavy, heavy equipment, making appointments. You know, it was all, a, it was all done um, solely by, by myself. And at, at the same time, I had two, two young kids. Um, Kevin traveled quite a lot with his work, so he was away a lot of the time. So the idea of having, you know, a year off work um, sounded quite appealing to me at that stage. And, you know, so I, I, once I, I told this to him, he, he got back in touch with the, the company who had approached him and, and basically started the, the whole process of, um, you know, contract negotiation. And then late in October 2000, um, uh, my kids and I arrived. Kevin had been here for a few months already. But once we got our paperwork sorted out, we arrived in the October of 2000. So tell me a little bit about your life in, in Cape Town and what Cape Town is like. Oh, Cape Town is beautiful. It's completely different to, um, uh, to Saudi Arabia or to, to, to Jeddah. It's, it's, a very, um, it's, it's a very green city. Well, well now maybe not so much because we've had water shortages and, and drought. Uh, but it's a beautiful city. You know, you've got Table Mountain, um, you've got uh, the Atlantic Ocean, you've got the Indian Ocean on the other side. There's just so much to do. You've got the Winelands. Um, you know, you're not you, you're quite spoiled for um, for recreational activities. There's a lot there's a, a lot to do. To do. Um, so coming from Cape Town to the desert, Saudi Arabia, where in 2000. Um, there wasn't very much going on at all. It, it it was a bit of a a bit bit of a shift for us, I have to say. Mm-hmm. So, tell me what you did to prepare to go to Saudi Arabia. 
Oh, we did a lot of research. Um, and you must remember back in those days, we didn't really have um, internet. So it meant going to the library a lot. Um, I I went to the book shop, the bookstop. Uh, sorry, I went to all the bookshops and bought whatever books I could about Saudi Arabia. Um, you know, for, for for myself and and Kevin, but also for for our kids, we had to educate them as well. Um, and I think with all of the research that, that we had done, we were pretty well prepared for the move here. Um, there were there were no huge culture shocks when we arrived. We knew. I knew what my limitations would be, um, you know, the restrictions. Um, I knew that shopping centers closed five times a day for prayer. So you had to, I had to be organized with my shopping. Um, so it was basically just a matter of educating ourselves so that we would fit quite smoothly into, into life here. And, and I think that's really what happened. There were mm -hmm. never, there were never any real shocks um, be, because we were really so prepared for it. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's a, 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 a problem with quite a few people is they, they don't necessarily do that, that background research. And, um, you know, it, it, it's so different to anywhere else that, that it, mm -hmm. is a bit of a, it, it is a bit of a shock. So tell me about your early days in Saudi Arabia. What was, what was that like? They were interesting. You know, it was a, a completely different culture. So we were... Um, we we were discovering so much about this place. We we um, we moved right in. Uh, we moved onto a compound from from day one, and I think that helped a lot because you basically have like a a built in support group, um, a community who are all in the same boat basically. So if you're having a bad day, you can sort of go down a few houses and knock on your friend's door and say, you know, I'm really having a bad day. Um, and they would know what you were talking about. Um, also, you must remember that uh, for family and, and friends to come and visit uh, was, was very difficult, you know, especially friends. It would be next to impossible, but uh, family would be a little bit easier. So we, we, really, um, we really did miss the family in those early days. Um, but mm -hmm. as I was, it was, a, it was a, a point of discovery for us. We, we did a lot of camping. Um, we made a lot of good friends on the on the compound, um, all all expat all expat people because you know you have that physical barrier anyway living on a compound with the community and it wasn't really encouraged anyway back then. Um, so our world really was was the compound and our expat friends. So, <clears throat> is it required that you live on the compound, or is that a decision that you and your family made? You know, I think back then it was, it, we didn't really know if um, if we, we could live anywhere else but on a compound. And, and I think we didn't even investigate it any further because a compound, um, you know, was a, a, a small community. And, and that's what we wanted, especially having two, two young kids. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they, they would have friends on the compound. Um, so I think it was just something we didn't really even, you know, look at an alternative for. Mm -hmm. um, a, a compound has everything that you need and especially not being allowed to drive back then you know they had a small supermarket gym hairdresser restaurant um, you know as I say it's a it's a, like a, a community here already um, you know drivers uh, for for women who, who, who can't drive so we could get around from A, a to B uh, shopping buses 
Um, so really, if you didn't want to leave the compound, you, you didn't have to because everything is available here. Mm. Um, and I think based on that, I think it definitely made life easier um, having it all basically with, you know, a couple of meters from your front door. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and um, at what point did you start um, thinking about developing your podcast? Oh, that was only uh, last year. So I would say, uh, what, 16 years later. Um, it was an idea that I had because I really I really listened to a lot of podcasts. Um, and it was around that time where things were starting to ease here with regards to women and, and women's rights. Um, and just an idea that I had that because I was just so I was I was so aware that because we'd been living on a compound for so many years, we were unaware of what was going on outside the compound walls. And what really got me thinking about it was I went home early last year and I had coffee with a friend from school, so someone I hadn't seen for, you know, 30 odd years. And I told her I was living in Saudi Arabia and her reaction was, what, that must be amazing. You must have so many interesting stories to tell. And I was embarrassed because I really couldn't think of any interesting stories to tell um, because I hadn't been exposed to the community around me. Um, And I wanted to, I came back thinking I needed to, I needed to change that, you know, after having been here for so long, I needed to have more interaction with the community. And at that stage, it it was getting a bit easier to do that. Mm -hmm. And because I listened to a lot of podcasts, I just thought it's all audio. There's no video involved. Um, and that, that would appeal to a lot of, you know, Saudi women here because there is, to a certain extent, still, you know, this, this, this privacy, this sort of veil that, that is there. And they, they, so they feel quite happy talking to a recorder as opposed to uh, speaking to a camera. And I mm-hmm. think that's really helped in this case. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about how things have changed for women in Saudi Arabia from the time you arrived to now. Okay, so when I arrived, as I mentioned before, uh, women were not allowed to drive. Um, So you're reliant on your husband, uh, drivers, taxis, um, or shopping buses, basically. Um, Now women can drive. I don't have my license yet. It's not from lack of trying, but I'm just waiting for my appointment. Uh, now we've got uh, Uber and the equivalent to Uber, Kareem, which is you know a, a driving service. Um, and you do see more and more women behind the wheel of a car, which is really amazing to see. You, uh, you know, it hasn't, it didn't happen suddenly overnight. It took a few months to sort of iron out um, any complications, but it seems to have gone quite smoothly since then. And you do see more and more women driving. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that is one, that's a huge thing really is, is the driving. You see more and more women working in um, public sector jobs, uh, check-in uh, at the airport, at the supermarket. You know, for many years, if you went into an underwear store, the only person there to help you would be a male assistant, which was a little bit awkward. Mm-hmm. And they realized that. And I think that was one of the first places where women became more visible as um, um, assistants. You go into an underwear store now, and there are women to, to uh, available to help you. Um, exercise now, uh, 
four years ago, women weren't allowed to exercise in, in public, or it was very rare to see women exercising in public. And now um, women are running, cycling, um, you know, where they, they've even adjusted the abaya uh, to be a sport abaya so that those women who are really serious about it have got the flexibility to exercise in a sporty abaya. And if you walk down to the Corniche, which is about two blocks from where I live, in the evenings especially, you, you see groups of women exercising together or even individually. Um, it's just really, that's really changed the whole makeup of, of the society here is the fact mm -hmm. that these women are able to exercise. And obviously with, with, you know, with increased exercise, I think a lot of the, the you know, there are a lot more happy people here um, because, you know, that, that does make a difference being able to, you know, appreciate what's what's around you and to you know to exercise wherever you want um mm. is, is a big thing mm. a bias certainly where i am on the west on the west coast uh it's it's a lot more relaxed than Riyadh, which is the capital um here we can wear any color abayas um back then when i arrived only black abayas were acceptable and you know abayas definitely do have a place which might sound strange to to someone not living here but 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 living here if if you if you have to go out you really don't have to worry about what you're going to wear because you're going to be covered anyway so you generally have a an abaya for evening something that's a little bit more sort of dolled up something you know it's a little bit smarter uh you have a daytime abaya i have a abaya for when i go to the beach um so you've got abayas that serve different purposes so really that the change now is that um, any color really goes. And in fact, you see more and more women not wearing the buyer as long as they are covered. If you go into a supermarket or a shopping center, you see women walking around in sort of loosely, uh, loose, loose clo clothing. Mm -hmm. um, as long as it's not tight and revealing shape, but you know, that that's, that's become quite acceptable as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and another big change is um, women have been allowed to watch into stadiums to watch football matches um, that happened about I think two years ago now and that that was quite a big change um, and yeah more and more concerts have been happening around around the area that around Saudi Arabia uh, we've had a few big name people coming out and and performing concerts so things are definitely mm -hmm. things are definitely improving and changing and um, sort of yeah um, yeah making up for lost time really <laughs> yeah so when did you start teaching ESL classes oh I taught very briefly um I did a CELTA course in Cape Town in 2014 and and came back um and I did a, a sort of a freelance job for a couple of months um and it, it, it as I say I didn't do it for, for very long mm -hmm. and and you met did you, was it mostly women in your classes? Oh, as, as a woman, I could only teach women. Um, you know, you've got that segregation. Only men can teach men. So in my case, I could only teach women or kids, basically. Mm -hmm. Okay. So tell me a little bit about your classes and the interactions you had with, with your students. The classes were, the, the few classes that I had were amazing. They were, I did um, uh, quite a few conversational classes, which was great because it was quite relaxed um the idea was just to get you know to, to get these women speaking english um and they they loved it you know it was for them it was like a social interaction um and, and quite an important time for them um socially 
uh, because you know they were meeting and, and coming to meet at a specific time and place and they made great friends from that and there were some interesting stories that that came came out of out of the classes that I did in one class there was a a young woman who had just graduated as a as a doctor and she you know her her father had obviously supported her through the process and then after her graduation he discovered that she would have to um treat um um, males and he told her that she, she wasn't going to be allowed to practice as a doctor it was against his beliefs um, that women shouldn't treat men and as a result she for you know after a year after she graduated she still wasn't working and she was very frustrated but in that same group I had another woman whose father was encouraging her to learn English so that she could get her IELTS and eventually go and study overseas um, you know, to, to better herself. So you had these two extremes in one classroom. And it was amazing to see these women um, supporting each other and giving, you know, giving each other advice. And um, even just that, even in their broken English, um, you could see that, you know, they were they were standing together and wanting to help each other in a situation like that. Mm -hmm. And how, how did women um, learn English previously before your class? I think to a certain extent uh, schools offer um, offer English as, as an additional language. Um, for some of them who hadn't learned, they would watch um, uh, YouTube videos. Their they, they, line to learning English would be the internet basically. Mm -hmm. So they would listen to songs and um, you know I had one young girl who came and she had this very strong American accent. And I assumed that she had uh, studied in America. And, and it was purely from watching movies and, and YouTube videos that she had picked up this accent and, and also how to speak English. Mm -hmm. And what, um, what are some other, other stories um, from, your, from those classes? Um, what are some other things that people said that maybe surprised you or made you think, um, you know, uh, differently about yourself or about the world? One of the things that surprised me was, um, you know, and this goes to the stereotype of what people, how people view Saudi women, is a lot of these women were very well educated. You know, they'd studied, they got their degrees and in Saudi universities, uh, very, very highly qualified women, um, and who weren't able to, at that stage, weren't able to to work in their field. So they weren't just happy sitting at home and you know watching life pass them by. They went out and studied English and tried to network in in various ways. Um, they weren't content just to sit at home and 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 wait for the time for when they would be able to go out and and, and work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And while you were teaching the, the ESL classes, is this when you started thinking about um, doing your podcast or did that just come when you had your the visit with your friend in, in Cape Town? No, it actually, you know what, I because I was, um, I was teaching or, or wanting to come up with interesting ideas uh, for these women, this conversational class that, that, that I taught, I did a lot of research and 
I found out about, this is where I found out about how amazing Saudi women are because I hadn't realized that, you know, there was a Saudi woman who had climbed, who was the first Saudi woman to climb Mount Everest or the first Saudi woman to dive in the North Pole. And if it hadn't been for um, my teaching ESL, I probably wouldn't have known about that. And because after I discovered these two stories, I thought, well, there must be so many other stories out there. And I started looking and digging. And, and that's when I discovered that, you know, there were all these amazing uh, women from Saudi Arabia who had achieved so much. Um, and nobody really knew about them, you know, except for maybe their, um, their social media groups or, you know, if they were really good on social media, then perhaps their followers. But certainly as an expat woman, I didn't know about these women and that really piqued my interest and I thought well you know there must be so many more people or women like this who are doing all these incredible things and their stories should be told and I, I guess that coupled with my visit back home and meeting my friend after all those years it, it was it the pieces kind of fell into place and I thought well if no one else is telling their stories you know maybe this is an opportunity for, for you to tell their stories. Mm -hmm. And that's basically, and then I just started exploring the options and, you know, and I went through many, many days where I thought, no, this is a ridiculous idea. Um, but then the more I looked on the internet and the more stories I saw, I thought, no, you know, this is an opportunity to show um, people who don't know um, Saudi women who have a, or have a, a, sp a specific idea about what a Saudi woman is, that these ideas are not necessarily correct. Mm -hmm. Um, because this is not what I was I was seeing um, through through all my research. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And <clears throat> could you talk a little bit about your the first guest you had on your show and how you approached them with the idea of the podcast? Um, and were they hesitant at all to to come on your show or or, or willing? Or could you talk about that a little? Sure. The um, the first the first episode that I did was about women driving, and that was a little bit that was a little bit frustrating because um, it hadn't happened yet, and I was trying to I was trying to organize appointments for when it did happen. I really wanted to be in a car with a woman driving at midnight um, on on the, the the day that they were uh, allowed to drive, and women were a little bit nervous about um, committing to that. So I put that one to bed, you know, I put it on the side for a little bit and then I decided I would, I would come back to that uh, because there would be, you know, a couple of weeks after that where it would still be quite newsworthy. And then the next woman who I approached was Raha Muharak and she is just, if you, if you Google her name, she's all over the internet and I've always been of the opinion if you want if you want something done or if you want something you need to ask and the, the worst thing that can happen is that they'll turn around and say no. So I sent Raha an email, and the next day I got an email back saying um, yes, uh, no problem. I'll be in. And she she was living in Dubai, and it was during Ramadan, so it was almost a year ago. And she said I'll be in Jeddah for for Ramadan. Uh, we can meet then, and. So I had nothing to show her. I hadn't got an episode that I, as, as a sample. She she really was uh, trusting me in what I was telling her that it was going to be a non-political, positive podcast, and 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 you know just just based on what I told her, she had agreed to do the interview. 
Um, and in fact, all the other women were like that as well. Um, they hadn't heard, they, they didn't know who I was. Um, you know, I found the easiest way to put their minds at rest to show them that I was actually a woman was to send them WhatsApp voice messages so that they could hear um, I was a woman because that, that was a concern of mine because, uh, you know, my name Robin could also mm -hmm. be uh, a, a man's name. Um, but, but generally speaking, I think I've only had one woman who wasn't interested in speaking to me. The rest have all been very uh, excited about it. And they, you know, it's, it, their feedback, not feedback, but their reaction to when I say I have a podcast about women from Saudi Arabia, they all say that they, they think it's a fantastic idea because, you know, they want to get these stories out there as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> so could you talk a little about a couple of the other um, guests that you've interviewed, the, the episodes and the guests that, that, that stick out to you? So um, I've done 14 episodes so far, um, and they've all they've all been amazing women to interview. The one that really uh, resonated with me was the episode called Cat Mama, and that's about Farah. And Farah is uh, a woman who has 300 cats living with her, and she feeds an additional 600 street cats. And one thing about um, cats here in Saudi Arabia is that they are everywhere and they're considered a pest. So there are many, many stray cats walking around. Um, and um, Farah's basically dedicated her life to these animals. She takes them in. She goes to these, these markets where, you know, cats are strays and she'll, she'll put them in cages and take them back and she'll feed them up and medicate them if they need, need to be medicated and, um, you know, just give them a, a, a lease on life. Um, and she basically hasn't had a holiday for 10 years because she's got no one else to, to look after these, these cats. She's, it's basically herself, and I think she's got two or three helpers who come in um, during the course of the day just to, just to relieve her. Um, and hers is also quite a, a sad story because after, I think it was 30 years of marriage, her husband left her. Um, and he was the one who started feeding the cats. Um, so she, she says that, you know, with these cats, these cats have been abandoned and she's been abandoned, but she, she's got such an incredibly strong faith. And I think the faith definitely has made it easier for her. Her family, she has a son and he's, he's back in the States and, you know, she only gets to see him when he come out, when he comes out to Saudi Arabia. So, you know, that, that, that's not very often, but her life is basically these cats. Um, mm -hmm. So her story was quite, um, had quite an impact on me because, you know, she's just this just lovely person whose who's, who's sole purpose in life, as far as she's concerned, is, is to save these cats. And that's exactly what she's doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and let me think of another one. Um, Oh, there was another another woman who a young young woman. She's seventeen years old, and she's um, she's a free diver, um, you know, which is is quite an extreme sport. And she, at seventeen, she was just so incredibly mature um, for her age, and and you know, quite disciplined about training. And you know, she's won the Egyptian national title, and um, her, her her father is Egyptian, so she's got e e um, connections to Egypt. Um, she was definitely one, just, you know, this, um, this dedication to her sport, basically. 
um, that and um, so she she was very inspiring. Uh, Raha Muharak is one another one. Um, she's uh, basically a Saudi woman who hasn't let anything stand in her way, and she's going for what she wanted. Um, her father initially said no, um, and she said to me that if she'd been her brother, she could guarantee that he would have paid for a plane ticket for her brother to go and climb Mount Everest. But because she was a, a woman and um, at, uh, at the age where Saudi women are expected to get married, uh, he said no. But she didn't give up and eventually he, he said that she could do it. And, you know, she, he's become her biggest sort of cheer, cheerleader, so to speak. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, but what really surprised me about uh, these women is how open they are and how much they... They love their country and how proud they are to be Arab women. I mean, the, the words that they use to describe themselves, resilient, amazing, enduring, strong, these are all words that, um, you know, come up in, in during the, the interview. Um, they haven't spent their time feeling any resent, resentment about, you know, restrictions that in the past. They've really hit the ground running with, with all these uh, changes. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Have you had um, any of your guests mention that maybe they would want to start a podcast? No, um, no, no, nobody yet. Mm -hmm. um, I think that the podcasting world here is quite small. Although I did meet a, a, a podcasting group the other day, which is quite, which is quite fun. I made contact with. I know there are about or quite a quite a few other podcasts. Uh, um, uh, podcasting people what do you call it podcast podcaster or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. groups and and I made contact with a, with about seven of them I think and only one of them got back to me and and uh, my husband and I went to meet them the other day they were having a, a live podcasting session because Game of Thrones is is starting again uh, I think on Sunday and they they are a big gaming podcasting group and so um so we went and spent a couple of hours with them, and that was quite fun. Mm -hmm. so, so I'm, you know, I'm hoping that uh, the the, past, the podcasting community will 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 get bigger and bigger here, um, but I think it's early days still. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, what has been the response um, from your podcast? Um, it's it's been positive. It's you know it's it's quite difficult to really answer that question because. Um, you don't really get that much feedback. I have had emails saying, um, you know, they really enjoy what I'm doing and, um, you know, they, they followed me and it's interesting to hear about, uh, you know, what what women here are doing. Um, but generally speaking, um, there, there, there hasn't been much, much feedback. Um, mm -hmm. And I guess no news is good news. Do you get, I'm gathering. Do you I'm get feedback sure. from your guests who who listen to the podcast and oh yes, oh yes. So the the the, the women who I've interviewed have all been um, you know very uh, delighted with 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 the results, which was which was always is always good to hear. Um, and they've um, they, they've really enjoyed the the process. And you know it's 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 really fun because I go there. These are women who I don't know at all. They don't know me. And we just sit down over a cup of coffee and or a you know a bottle of water or whatever is available and and, and we just chat and um, so it's it's quite a, a relaxed conversation 
uh, you know, from from their part as well, and and that I think that that does come through with with the interviews, and and mm-hmm. I think they they I leave with them feeling that it's it's been a, it hasn't been a chore, it's been it's been a good experience talking about, um, you know, what they've been up to. Yeah, yeah. Um, how has the this process of of creating the podcast and interviewing the women? Um, how how has that changed you, or what what impact has that had on you? Oh my goodness, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm I'm generally quite a shy person. Um, I find talking. I'm, I'm not. I don't like making small talk. Let's put it that way. Um, and I find that making this podcast, I am just interested in people. I you know standing at a the carousel waiting for my suitcase. If I I see a woman standing there, you know, I'll strike up a conversation with her because you you, ne- you never know, you know, it could be somebody really interesting. Um, and it's just opened my eyes uh, to what life is like here for a Saudi woman. Um, and as I say, there, there is a stereotype um, about what Saudi women are like, and that's not what I'm seeing at all. Um, I'm really, uh, you know, I'm really amazed at how, how open they are um you know they'll invite you into their home and um you know they they won't they won't tell me they don't want to talk about x y and z i can ask them anything and uh, you know if, obviously if they're comfortable answering it they'll they'll answer the question um but it's it's made me feel like i'm a bit more part of a community um i'm not just a an outsider um and um I guess it's it's sort of broadened my uh, friendship base to a certain extent. Although we don't necessarily hang out together a post episode, um, but if if I need anything, you know, they're just a WhatsApp call away, basically, and and, and it's the same. I've often referred to one or two of them. I've, I've asked them if they've got um, contacts for a specific story I'm working on. And, you know, within half an hour, they'll give me an answer. So um, I think there's a mutual respect there um, on both of our parts. Mm-hmm. And do you get the impression that other, um, uh, would you call yourself an expat? Is that the correct term? Yeah, I'd be an Okay, expat, an expat. Yes. So um, is it your impression that other expats who live in the compound with you um, want also want to learn more about the culture and meet women, or is this something that's unique to you? I can't answer for for them. I'm sure there must be other women who are expat women who are interested to know what is what is going on out there. And I know I'm not the only one. I know there, um, there there's an American woman here, and she has um, a Facebook group and a blog. Um, and she's been doing that for a few years. There's a, another expat woman in Riyadh. Um, she's married to a Saudi, and she's she's been on social media for about on with regards to Saudi Arabia for about six or seven years, mm-hmm. I think. So there there are there are a, a couple of other other women who are doing um, highlighting Saudi Arabia and the people here to a certain extent. Um, as to the rest of the expats, I'm not quite sure. You know, I think it's quite easy just to become. Uh, involved in just your routine of, 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 you know, going to work and coming home and, you know, planning your next trip away because I certainly lived that life for a while. Um, but then it, it became a, a point where that wasn't enough for me and I, I needed to know. And I know that 
I would have regretted not having done this, um, you know, when we, we go home and I look back on all the years we've spent here because, I, you know, I realize that I have wasted quite a few years already. I mean, the fact that I can't speak Arabic, which, and, I, and I'm not alone in that because English is so widely spoken here. Um, but that's definitely something I would love to do still is, is learn Arabic. Mm -hmm. um, but I think just for me at the time and the way that things were working out in my life, you know, having been exposed to these women uh, teaching that conversational class and realizing that realizing that there was a lot more to them than people realize. I think that definitely um, has opened my eyes um, in and, you know, just, just my whole way of, 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 live, of viewing how I live here as yeah, well. Yeah. So what's, what's next for you? Well, at the moment, I've been just concentrating um, on finding stories in the Jeddah area. Um, but Saudi Arabia is a big country. We've got Riyadh, which is in the, the, the center of Saudi Arabia, and then Al Khoba, which is on the east coast. Um, and I would, I would love to, you know, explore these cities and, and, and find more stories about, about women there. I think there must be so many women who are doing, um, you know, interesting things um, or have achieved interesting, um, you know, milestones or just achieving interesting um, things in their lives that, um, you know, I think this is going to keep me busy for as, as, as long as I wanted mm -hmm. to um, and as long as I'm mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. Um, and what, uh, you mentioned that you, you get some feedback, but, um, in the, um, you know, sense of follows and, and, and comments like that, um, what other feedback would you find helpful on your podcast? You mean from yeah, listeners? From listeners. From, yeah, from listeners podcasts. or guests. Mm-hmm. It's always good to find out what other subjects they'd like to um, to, to learn about, um, because basically I'm just going on what I find interesting, and what um, and I'm assuming that what I find interesting, other people find interesting too as well, um, and I hope this is the case. But but certainly feedback from from listeners as to you know what what else would they like to to hear about um, for, from Saudi Arabia, um, I think that would be mm -hmm. a big one, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Um, so is there anything, anything else that you would want, that you'd want to share? Um, no, I think that's, I think that's, that's <laughs> all, you know, just the, just the fact that, um, yeah, I mean, I think the Saudi woman, these women are amazing. And, um, I think people have really, they've been, um, misrepresented in the media and I think that people need to know that you know they, they're not sitting at home waiting for their husbands or fathers to come home and and give them permission to go out um, that's, that's certainly not the case and um, that they don't want people to think that they are like that as well you know they've got an incredible amount of pride uh, they've got an incredible amount mm -hmm. of pride and um, they, they definitely hold their heads mm -hmm. up high. Mm -hmm. And where can people find you? Um, I'm available on, or the, the, the podcast is available on iTunes, uh, CastBox, Stitcher, TuneIn. Um, I have a website address. It's uh, voicesofarabia.xyz. 
um, and Instagram and Facebook, Twitter. I think those are all the major ones. Okay, and we'll put a a link to your website in the description so people can just click on that and then it'll go – uh, yeah, to your website where they can uh, they can visit any any one of those uh, social media accounts and then also uh, subscribe on their you know podcast Brilliant. app of choice. <laughs> so, well, Robin, it's been a pleasure talking to you and and learning about your your journey, um, and I wish you the the best of luck. <laughs>